This is More Than Work, the podcast reminding you that your self-worth is made up of more than your job title. Each week, I'll talk to a guest about how they discovered that for themselves. You'll hear about what they did, what they're doing, and who they are. I'm your host, Rabia. I work in IT, perform stand-up comedy, write, volunteer, and, of course, podcast. Thank you for listening. Here we go. Hey, everyone. So my guest this week is Bob Berg. He's an author and a speaker and the author of one of my favorite books, which we'll talk about. So thanks for being on, Bob. My pleasure. Great to be with you. And where am I talking to you from today? I'm in Jupiter, Florida, which is just north of West Palm Beach in the state of Florida in the United States. Awesome. Well, yeah, and I'm from the States, but now now in London. So I think we've had similar weather lately, which is weird. <laughs> very, very, very hot weather, right? Yeah. Yes, Both exactly. across the pond and, and here. Yeah. And you guys have air conditioning, which means better planning, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> so first of all, I guess we'll just get right into it because I read one of your books that you are co-author of, The Go-Giver, and it was recommended to me by two people that are very important to me and we interacted and and now you're here. And can you just talk a little bit about the book and and really the, the five principles that are in the book as well? Yeah, it's a um, a business parable. So it's a, a short story co-authored with John David Mann, who's a fantastic writer. He was really the lead writer and storyteller. I'm much more of a how-to kind of step-by-step, one, two, three type of person. So it was a good collaboration. It's about a guy named Joe, who's a young, upcoming, ambitious, aggressive salesperson. He's got a good heart, but his his focus is really not in the right place. It's on himself and who knows what, who owes him what and and his making his quota. And he he meets a, a mentor by the name of Pindar who counsels him and introduces him to some other people. And he comes to learn a very important lesson and that is shifting your focus. And this is really where it all begins, mm-hmm. shifting your focus from getting to giving. And when we say giving in, in this context, We simply mean constantly and consistently providing immense value to others, understanding that doing so is not only a more pleasant way, a more fulfilling way of conducting business, it's actually the most financially profitable way as well. And not for any kind of woo-woo way out there, a magical, mystical type of reasons, right? It, It actually ties very much into human nature. And that is when you're that person who can take your focus off yourself and place it on serving others, discovering what they need, want, and desire. When you can move from a focus off of yourself onto helping others solve their problems, when you can, when you can concentrate not so much on your, on yourself, but on bringing other people, moving them closer to happiness. People feel good about you. People want to get to know you. They like you. They trust you. They want to see you succeed. They want to be part of your business. They want to be in relationship with you. They want to be part of your life. And 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 they want to tell others all about you to be your personal walking ambassador. Mm-hmm. And as you mentioned, the you know the premise is supported by five what John David Mann and I call five laws of stratospheric success, <laughs> and uh, those are the laws of value, compensation, influence, authenticity, and receptivity. You know, all of them work together holistically. Well, that's yeah, and that's great. It was interesting just reading it and just knowing the people that I heard about the book from one person works in nonprofit. And I think what's interesting with the nonprofit space, especially if you came from business is that you're, you're applying all these principles, but it's totally kind of different context. And then one person started her own 
business, but that came out of her starting a business because places she was at weren't necessarily aligned with her, her values, but both of them are very giving people and, and charity is like a big aspect of their life in, in general. And then they apply it to how they work with others. So how did you decide on those five principles? Well, John and I have both, aside from being entrepreneurs, both having made lots of mistakes in our past and also having some successes, also being in a position, John as a writer, me as a speaker, getting to know so many very successful people and being able to study them and being able to ask questions and find out what caused their success. Studying success, reading biographies and autobiographies, you know, you you get to kind of boil down certain principles that whether or not people knew they were applying, right? They Mm -hmm. were applying every time. And it was always these same five principles that they were applying. Now, again, many didn't even know they were doing them. They were doing them rather intuitively. Others, you know, study them. Now, we didn't make up these principles. We, of course, because they're principles, right? They've been around forever. (laughs) That's why they're universal laws. They're principles. What we did is we put them into a story form and we named them what we named them, but there's nothing, nothing that John and I are sharing is particularly original at all. Okay. And I think that's very important. You know, Jim Rohn, who was the great speaker and, and business philosopher, very successful entrepreneur, used to say, you know, beware the person who comes offering you new fundamentals. Mm. There are no new fundamentals. There are no new principles. Okay. We can, we, what we do is we can take them and we can apply them differently, apply them individually, but there's nothing new. So yeah, you know, these are, these are proven time-tested principles that work. Yeah. And did you, when you look at the five, is there one that you had to work harder on to apply for yourself than other, than others? Well, I, I think that of all of them, the one that gives most people the most trouble is actually the fifth law, which is the law of receptivity. Hmm. See, the, the four other laws, you know, the laws of value, compensation, influence, authenticity, those are all about coming from that, that giving viewpoint, the value you're, you're providing to others. The law of value, the first law, is all about the, the great experience you provide others, not just in the sales process, but from the very time you meet them, from the beginning of that relationship, through the relationship building process, through the follow-up, follow-through, sales process, referral process, how you make them feel about your, themselves, okay? That's what value is all about. It's not just the product or service, it's the entire experience, okay? Yeah. Then there's the law of compensation that says your income is determined by how many people you serve and how well you serve them. In other words, it's not just a matter of providing that wonderful, excellent value to others, but impacting the lives of lots of people with it. That's what causes compensation. The third law, which is the law of influence, says you know your, your influence is determined by how abundantly you place other people's interests first. No, not in a doormatty way, a martyrish way, self-sacrificial way, not at all. It's simply understanding that all things being equal, people will do business with and refer business to those people they know, like, and trust. And there's no faster, more powerful, or more effective way to elicit those feelings toward you and others than by genuinely moving from that I focus or me focus to that other focus, looking for ways to, as Sam, one of the mentors in the story advised Joe, make your win all about the other person's win. Mm. Law four, the law of authenticity says the most valuable gift you have to offer is yourself. 
And in this part of the story, Deborah, one of the mentors, explained that all the skills in the world, the sales skills, technical skills, people skills, as important as they are, and they are indeed all very, very important. They're also all for naught if you don't come at it from your true authentic core, right? Yeah. When you show up as yourself day after day, week after week, month after month, people feel comfortable with you. People feel good about you. They feel safe with you. Well, they know who they're getting. And so this is a very, this consistency, which is a big part of authenticity, is a big part of eliciting and, and keeping trust. You know, I think people misunderstand uh, to a certain extent uh, the term authenticity. They they mix it or they, they conflate it with just say anything you want, let it all hang out. It doesn't, uh, you know, that, that not me. You know, that's like the person who says, well, I have anger issues and I yell at people a lot. And if I were to act any differently, that wouldn't be authentic. That's baloney. It's malarkey. That's, you know, it's, it's a good philosophy if you don't want any good relationships in your yeah. life, you don't want to do particularly well in business. But since that's probably not what most of us want, no. Uh, what it means is this person has an authentic problem that they need to authentically work on in order to be able to authentically grow into their highest, you know, uh, authentic nature. So no, that's not what authentic means at all. I think we can define authenticity very simply. It's simply acting congruently with your values. Mm -hmm. Okay. And our values, hopefully are kindness to others, tact and empathy and honesty and all those things combined, but it's not just letting it all hang out. And so, you know, those are the first four. Now, the fifth one, the one which gives most people the biggest problem is the law of receptivity. <laughs> now, this one says the key to effective giving is to stay open to receiving. And really, you know, this is nothing more than understanding that, yeah, you breathe out. Well, you've also got to breathe in. Right. It's not one or the other. It's both. You breathe out carbon dioxide. You breathe in oxygen. You breathe out, which is giving. You breathe in, which is receiving. Breathing out and breathing in are simply two sides of the very same coin. Right. They're not opposite concepts. Yet, what's the message that we get from the world around us? And often from, you know, from the time we're born, whether it's immediate family, you know, environment, schooling, the news media, television shows, movies, social media, the world around us tells us that, that oh, money is a bad thing. If, if you're making a lot of money, you must have done it on the backs of others. You must have hurt people or done it through some nefarious means. Well, it's a big world. There's certainly people who do bad things and they profit. But no, for, for you know, for most of us, who live in a, a basically market economy. And when I say that, I simply mean that no one is forced to do business with us, right? Mm -hmm. And if no one's forced to do business with you, you can only make a lot of money and sustainably so by providing immense value to the lives of lots of people, making it about them because you know they're not buying for your sake. Mm -hmm. They're buying for their reasons because they believe they'll be better off by doing so than by not doing so. So the best thing a person can do is put the interests of their customer first, focus on serving the customers and, and the money comes. This is why John David Mann and I say that money is simply an echo of value. 
right? It's the thunder, if you will, to values lightning, which means the value must be first and foremost. That's your focus, the value you're providing others. The money you receive is a natural result of the value that you've provided. So again, if you're making a lot of money, okay, again, assuming you're doing it honestly and assuming that you're doing it by providing value, that's a great thing. It's a wonderful thing, but that's not the message the world gives us. Because of that, we get a lot of those unconscious blocks, not conscious, but unconscious. We don't even realize the mixed feelings, the negative feelings that are in our, our unconscious regarding money. So this is why so many people have an issue with the fifth law, mm-hmm. right? They're doing all these great things and they've earned the right to receive and to live in abundance, live prosperously. But what goes on in their unconscious? Well, but if I have this money, doesn't that mean I did something wrong, that I was dishonest, that I did something bad, that I was using others? You know, mm-hmm. doesn't that mean people won't like me? Doesn't that mean I'll change into a bad person, right? And so it's very, very important to understand the unconscious game of money and prosperity and abundance. So, you know, that's why so I, I, and I say to people, hey, make a study of abundance, study people like Randy Gage, study people like Sharon Lecter and David Nagel and Ellen Rogan. And and there's so many just great ones out there that Ken Honda, there's so many out there who, who talk about this. They blog about it. They write about it because see, we need to proactively study abundance because the garbage comes in all the time. Right. And so, you know, it's hard to to shut all of that out. So we need to proactively get the great thoughts and reasoning of abundance and prosperity into our both our conscious and in our unconscious. Hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting because just even thinking about two people grow up in different situations. And so when you don't grow up with a lot, sometimes there's this also envy that's not intentional of people who have a lot. But then also (laughs) success is it's weird. People don't like money. And I definitely am one of those people who just says, well, I don't need, like, I don't ever need to be a billionaire. And I know that. Right. But I also like to make a certain amount and like to be able to live in the flat I live in, in the area I live in, and don't want to be made to feel bad about that either. You know, but it's, it's interesting how there's this thing of success is making a lot of money, but then also if you make a lot of money, there is that negative connotation too. So that is interesting to think about. Well, and then, you know, when you think of it, financial success is just one aspect of success. There's many measures of success. There's financial, physical, spiritual, mental, emotional, social, relational. None are necessarily less or more important than the others. It it all depends on the the individual. But to say, well, uh, you know, I want to be successful in these other areas, but not money. You'd need to, I think, I'm not saying what anybody else needs to do, but my suggestion would be is ask yourself the the question, well, why? Why do I have those negative feelings about money? Where did those come from, right? Who are the people I listen to who talk about money, right? And where do they get their information? What's their unconscious learning that they've had? You know, money's like anything else. It's a means to an end. The more you have, the more things you can do with it, both for yourself, for others, and and so forth. We don't need any more than what we need. That's why it's called a need. We can desire more than we have if it will help bring us closer to the values we want to live. Money really helps you effectively live your values is Mm. what it does. Yeah. And yeah, and if one of your values is giving back, you have more to to give, which is kind of amazing, you know. And see, I wouldn't even use the term give back. And I'll explain why. Okay. And, and let me explain because most people say that and just accept yeah. 
thing. What does giving back mean? It means you took something first uh. and now you're giving back. Okay. So giving back is, has become a euphemism for charity, right? Or doing good things, using your money for good ways or do, but I love that great intent where we should all give charitably to however we can, but it's a, the premise is that you first had to take money that wasn't, because if it wasn't yours, why would you have to give it back? So say, but, yeah. but, but uh, I built a business by taking people's money. No, you didn't. You built a business by giving people value. Yeah. They willingly exchanged their money for that value. Both of you prospered. Now, if you have a lot of money and you want to do some great things with it and you don't have to wait until you're wealthy, you can do it from the moment you begin. Okay. That yeah. aside, you're giving. That's fine. You're giving. I don't think you're giving back. Now, when when is it when is the term giving back appropriate? If someone gave you something first, yeah. something did something, some something for you specifically, and you're giving back to them. Fine. That's you know, I think words are very important. And I and I think the culture is telling us when when people use the word giving back as they do, it's saying that it wasn't really yours. Mm. So you need to give it back so you'll feel you know, better about yourself. No, you give because you'll feel better about yourself because it's something you want to do. It's congruent with your values. Yeah. Huh. I like that. I'll have to really think about that one, but it's just like when I read your book, I had to think about a lot. So yeah, that's great. One thing I I was thinking too, and just reading the book and and the principle, I think they can apply, like you, you wrote it as a business parable, but I can see how it applies in personal life as well. And, sure. and just how you like personal engagements and stuff. And have you heard feedback of that? Or do you find that you apply principles in your day, day-to-day life as well as in business? Yeah. Well, as Pindar, the, the main mentor in the story told Joe, universal laws and principles apply across the board, mm-hmm. right? That's why we had that subplot in there about Joe and Susan. Yeah. And, and so because we, you know, yeah, it's a business book. It was a business publisher, but we wanted people to know these are not just business principles. You know, these are life principles. So, yeah, we've heard from, you know, families and schools and book clubs and and religious houses of worship that have utilized this. So, oh, yeah, we see it. We see it all the time. Yeah, that's great. That's even great. with the receptivity, it's just kind of like. For me, I've I've applied it even just being able to receive compliments. Absolutely. That's very, very important. Right. That's one of the ways to build your receptivity muscles. Mm. Because, you know, if, if somebody really finds it difficult to receive a compliment, they're probably going to find it difficult to receive a lot of money. And so, you know, when somebody says, oh, you know, you look nice today or that's, a, you know, whatever, assuming it's appropriate, you know, and so yeah. forth, you know, do you go, you know, oh, no, no, yeah, no, no. Or do you say, oh, thank you. That's very nice of you. Mm-hmm. Well, so that's practice when you say, oh, thank you. That's very nice of you. That's, that's, so you, you know, you might be at the store and you're about to pour a cup of coffee for yourself and you have your cup and the other person holds up the, you know, the thing to pour for you. Do you go, oh, no, no, that's okay. Or do you say, oh, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And again, it's allows, and you know, and so there's all sorts of things. Somebody offering to pay for dinner when you're with them. Again, assuming it's appropriate. But, you know, I used to have the most difficult time letting someone pay for dinner. Oh my gosh, that yeah. was just, you know, well, uh, it's something I had to work on and and let myself say, oh wow, that that's so nice of you. Thank you so much. <laughs> and then, you know, and so every time we do that, there's a victory there. We're building our receptivity muscles. That's really cool. 
And how did you decide to go ahead and become an author? Because not everyone who's an entrepreneur in business, I mean, I'll let me change that actually, because a lot of people think they can be authors who are doing things. I know a few people who are like writing books that maybe they'll write a book, but it's not going to get uh, make an impact. But how did you decide like, this is something you wanted to proceed with? I was in sales and really had learned sales and enjoyed it and loved teaching it to others. And mm-hmm. So I was a speaker first, and then it was suggested by a few people I knew that I write a book on the topic I was teaching, which was how to cultivate endless referrals for your business. Mm-hmm. So that was my actually my first book, Endless Referrals. And so that, that it, I just kind of did it at that time for utilitarian purposes. I assumed that having a book out on that topic would help position me in my marketplace, would get me booked to speak more often at higher fees, more credibility and so forth. And so I used it as a as an outbound marketing tool. So it was really a tool for me to use. All my books after that, I think I wrote because I felt I had a message I wanted to share. But that first one was totally just for positioning in the marketplace. Cool. And then when you look at outside of work, you're speaking and you're being an author and everything you do. One thing that you're passionate about is working with animals, furry friends, and other other things. So can you talk a little bit about that interest? Because one thing I focus on on this podcast is just like, what do people do outside of work that also reflects their values? Yeah. Well, I mean, I it's a true passion of mine, animals. My heart breaks for the way that we human beings have treated animals over the last 12,000 or so years, using them for our food, our entertainment, our clothing, our comfort, our with very, very little regard to their safety and their Mm -hmm. comfort. Animals grow up in, you know, on factory farms, on dairy farms in horrid, horrid conditions. And, you know, to me, we have no right to abuse them as we do experiment on them, just everything. So, you know, my goal is to really bring awareness to that. And, you know, both on a macro level and also on a micro level through the fostering and so forth that we do. Yeah, it's it's something that even I think a lot of documentaries have come out in the last few years or last 15 years, I'd say that make people more aware and, and people are becoming more aware, yeah. not, not, not enough, but yeah. it's growing. Yeah. Well, that's cool that you bring awareness to it as well. So I have like the last few questions just to ask you that are standard questions for everyone who's on the podcast. Sure. (laughs) So first of all, do you have any advice or mantra that you'd like to share? I know that's kind of strange because it's not specific, but some people just like us saying that they like to impart. I mean, I, I think that that to the degree that we can study human nature, I think that's the degree that we we create an environment where we can navigate our world more successfully. You know, because we're dealing with humans every day and, you know, human nature, which is the general psychological characteristics, feelings and behavioral traits of humankind that are basically all of us have, which doesn't mean we're not individuals. We're all individuals living our own lives and pursuing our happiness, our individual way. At the same time, (laughs) there are certain elements of human nature that are very predictable and very, very real. And I think to the degree that we can study them and understand them, again, that's the degree that we we create the environment for our our own success and being able to serve others better. Mm. Yeah. And I think, well, yeah, and you're right. I mean, I think there's a lot of work being done by some people just to put people in categories based on differences, but not even looking at the fact that actually there's quite a bit of similarities in humans. So there's many more similarities than differences. Yeah, totally. 
And so now I have the fun five. It's just the last five questions. So what's the oldest t-shirt you have and still wear? One from my dad and mom. Well, that I still wear. Yeah, I, I don't know. But the oldest t-shirt I have is is one from my parents' business back from when I was a little kid. And I just, I never will throw that away. Oh, that's cool. What kind of business <laughs> did they have? It was a kind of a, it's hard to explain, but sort of a gymnasium school for kids based on building self-confidence through sports and self-defense. Huh. Yeah. That's cool. All right. And if every day was really Groundhog's Day, like it seemed for a couple years there, what song would you have your alarm clock set to play every morning? Yeah, it wouldn't be the one by Sonny and Cher. I love the golden oldies of the late 50s, early 60s. So maybe At The Hop or, you know, one of those songs. Oh, nice. Uh, That'd be fun. I would wake up to joyfully every day. Yeah, that's great. And then coffee or tea or neither? Oh, coffee. Yeah, same. Got my coffee too. Too late <laughs> today, but still. And then can you think of something that just like really cracks you up when you think of it or, or makes you laugh or just the time you laughed so hard you cried? I just like to know what kind of makes people tick in that way. I am a laugher. So there's, there's things I just see things in a way sometimes that just absolutely cracks me up. And it happens all the time. My business partner, Kathy says things that just, you know, I break up at and she breaks up at my, at my foolish things. Hers aren't foolish, but mine are. <laughs> and she usually comes down about once a month so that we can work together. And the last time she was coming, that was like a laugh a minute. So I can't think of anything specific, but it was when Kathy was here. That's great. And it's good to have someone to work with like that too. All right. And the last one of the five is who inspires you right now? Who inspires me right now? I think this, the spirit of my dad continues to inspire me to do my best to, to help humanity however I can, to encourage people, to make people hopefully feel genuinely good about themselves. Awesome. That's really nice. And that's nice that you honor him in that way. So Bob, is there anywhere you want people to go to look you up or what you want them to do if they're interested in finding out more about you? They, if they'd like, could go to Berg, B-U-R-G.com. They could also check out our GoGiver online community membership group, which is at thegogivercommunity.com. Okay. Great. Well, I really appreciate you doing more than work and I will definitely be reading the book again at some point and recommending it, but thank you so much, Bob. Oh, thank you. It was a delight to be with you. Thanks for listening. You can learn more about the guest and what was talked about in the show notes. Joe Mafia created the music you're listening to. You can find him on Spotify at Joe, M-A-F-F-I-A. Rob Metke does all the design, for which I am so grateful. You can find him online by searching Rob, M-E-T-K-E. Please leave a review if you like the show and get in touch if you have feedback or guest ideas. The pod is on all the social channels at at More Than Work Pod or at Robbie Comedy on TikTok and the website is morethanworkpod.com. While being kind to others, don't forget to be kind to yourself.